This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back into the Lions 24-7 podcast. Tyler Donahue and Sean Fitz with you once again. Episode 1 of this week and the final full week of August all of a sudden. Sean, we spent a lot of time last week uh, detailing the conversations that we got as a media group with Athletic Director Sandy Barber, with Head Football Coach James Franklin, both of them for about an hour. All that content still up on the site, all that content still up on Apple Podcasts from last week with audio clips from Franklin and Barber. We're going to turn the page a little bit now as we continue to settle into the fact that we will not be seeing kickoff here in September in Happy Valley and, and what that's going to mean for all of us within this football community, but also how we're going to cover Penn State. One thing we'll always have to turn to is the recruiting trail. That's exactly where our focus lands today, Sean, and not exactly for the best of reasons for the Nittany Lions 2021 class building effort. Do we have to turn our attention there? It's just uh, the 2021 cycle, just one <laughs> gut punch after another for Penn State. And it's been, you know, it, it continues. It comes in shifts. And we you know, we saw the Kelvin Gilliam uh, committed to Oklahoma over the weekend, by the way. We saw that one sort of building up and coming. And then yesterday, blindsided with Dejon Warren committing to Georgia. This is a Lackawanna kid. Penn State has not missed on a Lackawanna kid that they've offered um, since James Franklin came in and started offering Lackawanna kids. He commits to Georgia seemingly out of nowhere. Uh, that's that's a tough pill to swallow. So two, you know, I guess you could say get him out of the way back to back, but within four days, two uh, two key target or three days, two key targets heading elsewhere. Yeah, rough, rough span for Penn State, um, just in general right now because of how they've been impacted and, 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 you know, one kind of punch lands after the other here now on the recruiting trail. Um, let's start with Gilliam because we, we alluded to his upcoming decision last episode on Friday morning, um, discussing how things were certainly trending towards Oklahoma despite the fact that he had never visited Norman. Um, I spoke with Kelvin a few hours after we finished recording, Sean. Just to check in and confirm that that his plan was still the same in terms of if the NCAA would allow official visits, if regardless of where he committed, he was going to explore other campuses. Uh, and, and yes, he says that is still the plan for him. Um, you know, he, he didn't say I'm going to Oklahoma, but I, I, I could, you know, I could read the tea leaves. I could trust our, our analysts at that point that he was going to Oklahoma. So had a story ready uh, for Saturday after he committed to, to the Sooners and just saying, hey, Penn State may not end up, end up with a kid, but it's still okay to qualify the Nittany Lions as a factor in his recruitment because, again, if official visits are opened up at some point along the way, I think there's a great chance he ends up in Happy Valley for a visit, uh, for some personal time with the coaching staff, with players, maybe with other prospects. And, of course, he would have his parents with him and a chance to connect with John Scott, the defensive line coach, all the kinds of things that he hasn't done with Penn State. But he really hasn't done with anybody across the country. Remember, has not been to Oklahoma in person. 
never got to to, uh, to South Carolina, and, and that was another school that was right there in the top mix for him as well. So uh, I don't want to kind of, you know, put a carrot on a stick and put it in front of everyone's faces. I've talked a lot about how impressive uh, Kelvin Gilliam is as a player, as a person, and what he could mean to this Penn State class as a four-star prospect coming in on the defensive line. Um, but I will say he's not enrolling early. Uh, he's open for those official visits, so I- I'm still, you know, saying that there's reason to keep your finger on the pulse of the Kelvin Gilliam process these next few months. I would say so. I mean, you you look at what's out there in terms of Penn State's defensive line recruiting, and they've got the commitment from Rondé McGraw, who projects as a defensive end, but really not a ton out there. George Rooks is a guy that they're still looking at, sort of a battle with Michigan right now. Um, he he, you know, he's defensive end slash defensive tackle type guy. They don't need tackles. They just brought in a big glut of, of defensive tackles. And now, what's interesting, and I talked to somebody about this this weekend, is is you've got basically a built-in redshirt year and then possibly another redshirt year after that for guys that you can build up, guys like Bryce Mostella, guys like Amin Vanover that just came in. So that's sort of built into that. So I think it kind of takes the uh, the need for defensive linemen down. But at the same time, you've also got the possibility on the other end of that eligibility spectrum of guys like Jason Away. You know, you lose a year of Adisa Isaac. you got Shaka Tony. You're not sure what's going to happen with them. Uh, it's just it's tough to sort of forecast where your where your roster is going to look like or what your roster is going to look like a year from now. So because of that, you can't really slack off and bringing these defensive linemen in. Like I said, Rooks is still out there. We've talked a lot about Robert Jackson from Archbishop Wood. Another wrinkle into that is the Philly Catholic League uh, yesterday decided they're not playing for the fall. So that takes Archbishop Wood out. That takes St. Joe's Prep out, unless some of these schools somehow decide to turn around and play in an independent schedule or something like that. That's you know taking away a senior season for guys like Robert Jackson, who maybe would have blown up with a senior season. So I think that's very interesting. Regarding holding out for official visits, obviously you can't do that if you're if you're anybody. But you know Gilliam seems to have a plan, and he's not the only one in this class that seems to uh, want to take that approach. We will see as it gets closer to December because you mentioned he's not enrolling early. That that December signing period is still a kind of a pressure point for schools. If you say, I don't want to sign in December because maybe I can take a visit in January, that school might turn around and drop you. So Red flag. Yeah, I I don't know that that's going to be something that comes in. Like I said, you can put a little bit of pressure on those guys not make them sign in December, but have them sign in December and see how that uh, that works out for you. But uh, I, I wouldn't hold out the hope for it. But the fact that he's open and, like I said, a bunch of prospects, whether they'll say it on record or not, really would like to explore that type of option because a lot of these guys have sort of uh, committed to schools, committed to coaches that they haven't met, they haven't visited, and they haven't really built out that in-person relationship with. So that's been it's been very tough. And like I said, I empathize a lot with John Scott Jr. I mean, just a really very low percentage win situation here for John Scott because he's got these guys that, you know, he really wasn't after. And the, and the guys that he was after pretty much have stayed put for the uh, down south for the most part. So, man, it's a it's a crazy cycle. It's another uh, body blow for Penn State. Didn't get any better on Monday. Yeah, John Scott, remember, coming in after the rest of the staff additions because Sean Spencer uh, didn't leave for the NFL until late January, the final days of January. 
you don't get Scott officially on board till mid-February, and then two, three weeks later, uh, we're facing a different reality as a nation, and, and certainly in college football, what you can and can't do uh, in terms of recruiting. You bring up a great point, because look, 2021, 2021 um, we weren't anticipating factoring in Antonio Shelton, at defensive tackle. We weren't thinking that Shaka Tony might still be around as an edge rusher for this defense, and, and, and all those things are part of the play, and, and, and you said, you know, you're stacking these classes, essentially, and 2020 with the newcomers and then the 2019 guys who were working on the scout team. We talked a lot last fall about uh, how really that defensive line on the scout team was was looking really promising and, and how that boded very well for the future. Well, you've kind of got those two classes meshed together. They're not getting a lot of on-field work. They've got a first-year head, uh, first-year positional coach in John Scott Jr. So it's going to be really fascinating to see how that cluster. I mean, you can almost call it a super class at this point of defensive linemen. What are they going to look like coming out the other side of this thing in 2021? Super class. I like that. Uh, that's a, <laughs> that's a new one for me. But no, I mean, you've got that actually on both sides of the ball. Right up front, Penn State took five offensive linemen as well. So. You're sort of got to meld those two classes together. And I know some guys come in more ready to go and some guys, you know, just frankly need that red shirt. I mentioned Bryce Mostella earlier. I mean, he was a red shirt all the way, but now all of a sudden, do, do you have two years of red shirt? Which to me sounds pretty great when you talk about his course of development, what they need him to do to get ready to play football. He's already added a bunch of weight, but it's going to take some time to uh, sort of uh, buffer out the edges on that one. So we'll, we'll see what happens there. You, at defensive end, you've still got Davon Townley on the board in Minnesota. Like I said, that's a, that's a tough one to forecast because he hasn't been anywhere, lives in Minneapolis. So you got to, you got to give the edge to the Gophers right there. And then as we mentioned on the last show, Patrick Payton, the Nebraska commitment that Penn State's sort of turning up the heat on at defensive end. So there's names there. There's, there's not a ton of names, but there's names there. And, and, and we'll see where Penn State continues to, to track on those guys moving forward. And yeah, Peyton, you know, we, we mentioned this Friday, how firm is he to Nebraska? That's one part of the equation, but how are you going to go about convincing the kid to flip to a school that he has not been to? I mean, that's 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 the other end of, of the equation there uh, with a guy like Peyton. Even if he's not sold on what he's got in front of him with the commitment, how do you turn his attention to where he's sold on your commitment and it's not just a stepping stone to the next decision? Um, Sean, when you look at the process and what awaits on defensive line, they, they've got one guy on board in the 13-player class. That's Rodney McGraw, who they flipped in early May uh, from the from the Indiana Hoosiers out of Indiana, projected to play defensive end, a kid who has you know kind of come along from a basketball body to a developing physical force on the defensive front as a junior. Um, but looking ahead, there's needs on the perimeter. There's needs inside at tackle. Do you believe that at the end of the day, when we get a chance to see what this class turns out to be, are those spots going to be filled by guys who are already on this target board, names we've been talking about a lot, or some of the other players that you just pointed to as well, or maybe some we haven't talked about, who at this stage don't hold a scholarship offer from Penn State? Does it feel like new targets are inevitable in this cycle? And how do you get there without seeing guys on field or having them on campus? Yeah, that's a great question because I, I, I think there are guys that we've talked about a couple of, you know, just all over the place. Robert Jackson, I'll bring him up again in Southeastern PA. James Yelbert's a guy uh, in Delaware that they like. Um, but really, I mean, until you see these guys play their senior seasons out, see what happens uh, with that, it, there's really not much you can do. They've done all pretty much all the scouting that they can do on these guys. And it's it, with states not playing football or states delaying football, there's really not a ton of uh, names that can pop up. 
Flip season's always interesting. I mean, you always find, you know, you go back over three or four times, go over other commit lists, see what's out there, see what's available, and see if it fits what you're looking for. Um, to me, it's easier to find a 6'2", 6'3", 280-pound defensive tackle, which is kind of exactly what they don't need right now, right now than a 6'5", 215, 220-pound defensive end. I mean, there's a reason these guys are at a premium. So it's uh, it, it's not fun. It's uh, not uh, ideal. And obviously, there's a lot of names. We could go down a laundry list of names that they've missed on in this cycle. And I think that's the – really, that's where you're looking at when you talk about this. This is uh, – Kelvin Gilliam's a guy that they spent a lot of time on. They invested a lot of uh, their uh, recruiting energy into trying to bring him on board. And, you know, you go down the list, uh, Tyrion Ingram Dawkins was probably the top guy. Taiwan Malone in Jersey is a guy that they've been in and sort of hot and cold with. He mentioned he talked to James Franklin last week, but still don't really see that one going anywhere. So the top guys, you know, it really hasn't really panned out for them. And, uh, you know, that's that's an issue. Whatever the reason is or whatever the – if you want to call it an excuse is, and I think John Scott Jr. has got a pretty good one, whatever the reason is, it's just not getting done. Well, these are not household names right now, but names to stash away in this conversation. Brandon Taylor, Devon Ellis, Hakeem Beeman, uh, Fatoma Mulba, Amin Vanover, Cole Brevard, all these players Penn State has brought in the defensive line. Um, we don't know what they're going to look like, but uh, they're, they're, they're underway with their development and whatever that means here in 2020 for Penn State um, and, and whatever they add with the 2021 class uh, just going to be further intrigued because there's a lot of unknowns beyond the, 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 the two deep there on the defensive line. And John Scott um, certainly finding challenges right now and, and being able to connect with these guys personally and be able to coach them up the best he can with what he has at his disposal here um, given the current state of things. Now, we sort of set up for that soft landing with Kelvin Gilliam uh, on Friday, Sean. We did absolutely nothing to soften the blow with DeJon Morin, uh, the number one defensive back prospect in junior college rankings for 24-7 sports at Lackawanna College in Scranton, where Penn State has signed a pair of players in each of the last two cycles, including a couple defensive backs in Jair Brown and Jaquan Brister. Uh, Warren was 100% crystal ball to Penn State. When we woke up on Monday morning, uh, by lunchtime, he was a Georgia Bulldogs commit, and he told 24-7 Sports that he had actually been a silent commit for a little while now. It's pretty crazy in terms of how these things have uh, have played out. This is one of the more shocking ones when you take into account everything Penn State had going for it. Important to note, Warren hasn't been at Lackawanna since March, so you you get away from those coaches that are obviously pro Penn State. They, they they've known this. They they've gone through the cycle with with Franklin and the staff before. So got away from that. Went home to Maryland um, and you know decided he wanted to get away. I talked to Rusty Mansell of our Georgia site a little bit yesterday. Rusty was the one that that broke the story on twenty four seven Sports and. He said, man, this kid, he told me he just wanted to get away from everything. And he, he's from Suitland, which is not a, not a good area um, down there. And, you know, he's seen some stuff that, that made him want to get away. And I think he kind of turned the corner and was, was, was a pretty big surprise. I mean, to be honest with you, I mean, it's, uh, when you take a look at Penn State's track record there, it's, it, it's really surprising to see them miss on a Lackawanna kid, especially a kid who's been on campus and who hadn't been, you know, taking visits to Georgia. Maryland was his other finalist, but Penn State and Georgia were the two that he said were the were the the ones that came down to. So even when things are going 
seemingly in Penn State's direction this cycle, this is kind of what it's come back to. And that's been that's been tough to stomach for them. And, you know, they've been plodding along 13 commitments right now. But uh, obviously, it has not gone the way that they drew it up. I, t- I take a look back to the early stages of this uh, cycle. And really, three guys on the defensive side of the ball that stuck out to me as, as sort of top-tier talents. Um, Derek Davis, of course, is still on the board. Tony Grimes is now a student at North Carolina. And Damian Robinson is a, is a Maryland commit. I think Warren was just below those guys. I think Warren's a really good prospect, really good player. Um, liked what Georgia had to offer in terms of their uh, their depth chart and some other things. So uh, that's uh, that's one that's that's going to sting, and it should sting, and it's it's another bad loss. And this is a, a recruitment that has changed so dramatically just since early July. I, I remember he put out that top group. It was uh, Oklahoma, Tennessee, Alabama, Florida State, Georgia, Maryland, Penn State, and as you just referenced. Uh, final finalists here were Maryland, Georgia, Penn State, but he had quite he had a plan put together. You know, heading into this summer, heading into this off season, surely he anticipated he'd be playing as a sophomore at Lackawanna College, uh, junior college level. Um, you know, well in advance of any Big Ten announcements or anything, they postponed uh, their 2020 season into next spring. Um, so he made the most of his of his first year um, at Lackawanna, All American honors as, as a freshman there turned into a lot of offers, had opportunities, but he was ready to capitalize on that opportunity. He was going to be on an official visit at Penn State for the Northwestern matchup, which before it was September 5th, back when it was the September 26th game uh, and the Big Ten opener and homecoming, he was going to do an official visit to Oklahoma in November. He was going to do a couple official visits in December, one to Tennessee, one to Georgia, and then as of early July, Sean, he was on track to make a decision December 14th, just a couple days before the early signing period, Instead, um, totally rewrote his game plan. Clearly, um, goes with the Georgia Bulldogs, and and now I think with Penn State, yeah, again sitting at 13 commitments. Um, this was a name that we have discussed uh, for a long time as as the guy is near the top of that target board. Um, how do you think this news was received uh, in the Lash Building? I would venture to guess they weren't too happy. <laughs> I mean, I think it's a, a pretty big surprise, especially when you when you talk about the relationships that they've had at that school. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's one thing to sort of get out and, you know, he, he, you know, if you lose a kid that doesn't visit, you lose a kid that, you know, hasn't been around for a while. But when you visited or excuse me, when he's visited, when you've been up to see his games, when you've been obviously making him a priority for a long, long time as a JUCO player, which is kind of different than a high school player, but when you've made him a priority for a long, long time, that one's tough to stomach and uh, almost seemed like a shoe in, you know, almost seemed not too easy, but almost seemed like it was inevitable that he would end up at Penn State. And, you know, the longer that drew out, the the less, obviously, the less that uh, came to came to be. So, I think that they were not too happy about that. Um, he was a plus one for Penn State, so it doesn't really change anything in terms of corner recruiting. You've got uh, Jeff Davis and Kalen King, a couple corners that are already committed. I don't think they go out and add another. I don't think they really have the space. Um, but when you lose your plus one, I mean, th- these guys are plus ones for a reason. Yeah, I think he's really good. I think he could have come in and played day one. And I think that Penn State's corners room is really very good. And I think he could have come in and played a day one. And now you lose this guy to the SEC. Uh, doesn't help your perception. Doesn't help anything uh, of that Big Ten SEC type thing, even though I don't think that that was a factor. Mm-hmm. Uh, you lose that. You lose mm-hmm. another battle. And it's it, it's tough to stomach. I'm sure you noticed very quickly when Warren, when the John Warren announces his commitment, uh, another Warren was was cast in the spotlight as a guy who helped cause this to happen for Penn State. Now I don't know how much we're going to go down that road, and 
Smith probably wouldn't hear that from Warren himself uh, in terms of making a decision, but anytime we see a Big Ten school, specifically here at Penn State, losing out on a recruit to a team that is still working towards a football season, and eventually if one is being played, playing in a football season, that's clearly going to be a topic of discussion and how that's impacting your ability to go head-to-head with a school in the ACC or a school in the SEC or even the Big 12 if they are playing football and what that maybe uh, allows them to present uh, to a prospect and, and in terms of the, the conference and, and all that different stuff. And um, it's just a whole other layer to the, the recruiting dynamics. And, and, and I don't think it was uh, naturally uh, or necessarily, necessarily, excuse me, uh, something at play here. If he indeed did commit to Georgia weeks ago or whatever, obviously that the timeline doesn't match up. But moving forward, I mean, the Big Ten's going to have to counter this and, and deal with it because the longer this stretches out, you know, if they do play, if these other schools that which are expecting to play right now, if they continue to move toward a football season, and it doesn't come crashing down. That's bad. That's very bad. And that's something that's going to be used against them. And, you know, Ohio State may be able to stand up against it. Michigan may be here and there, but there aren't too many programs, even as well as Penn State's recruited, there aren't too many programs that, that are going to be able to handle that, uh, you know, sort of flawlessly. Well, at cornerback, Joe Johnson, the only addition for the 2021 cycle. But again, when we kind of pack these classes up together based on eligibility, you're going to have three uh, freshman eligible cornerbacks coming into the 2021 year uh, with Joe Johnson, Daquan Hardy, and, and Joey Porter Jr. Both Porter Jr. and Hardy, I, I think the, the reviews have been very positive for them through their first year on campus. We already know uh, what we that we liked what we saw from Marquise Wilson and Keaton Ellis as true freshmen on the football field burning their red shirts, but there is a nice little stockpile of talent. Jeffrey Davis, Kalen King on board, and uh, as you said, uh, cornerback doesn't seem like a spot that, that would necessarily get addressed here with limited scholarship numbers. Uh, we'll keep tabs there. Um, speaking of eligibility, the NCAA handed down a decision uh, about how they're going to handle things moving forward for NCAA rosters for Penn State as well. Uh, we'll touch on that, what it means for the Nittany Lions in 2021 and beyond. Stay with us here in the Lions 24-7 podcast. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. We have a lot of questions about what the postponement of the 2020 fall season will mean for the Big Ten, for the Pac 12. Um, and, and overall, what it will mean for the structure of FBS football and the competitive landscape uh, into next year and beyond. But one of those elements was addressed uh, by the NCAA, a blanket waiver extended uh, that will prolong eligibility nationally for fall athletes. And what's interesting here is, Sean, and I think we'll rub plenty of Penn State fans and, and those in these conferences that have shut things down for 2020 the wrong way, is that this eligibility waiver will apply to those who play and those who don't play. That's amazing, isn't it? Just the, no, it the, is. the sheer possibility that you can play an entire season. It just doesn't count at all uh, is 
I mean, that's something to wrap your head around. And, and it's probably because we're on the, you know, quote unquote, losing end of it. The, 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 the program we're on the sideline here. Yeah. yeah the program <laughs> that we cover is, you know, the one that's going to be probably negatively affected by this, uh, I'll, you know, more than most. And it's, uh, it's tough to wrap your head around. I can't understand if you play, it should count, you know, and, and, and I kind of guess I get what they're getting at. Um, even in the playing field for, all the schools and, but I mean, if you play, it doesn't count. What what are we doing here? I saw a pretty a pretty on point tweet, and I wish I could credit it because I, I just can't remember who it was. But Cade Mays, uh, who a uh, former five star offensive lineman, transfers from Georgia to Tennessee, where where you know his brother is, I believe. Um, he was ruled uh, ineligible. And I saw someone say, so Cade Mays is ruled ineligible in a year where no one is actually burning eligibility. It makes sense, NCAA. Thank you. I, w- I would assume they're going to take that year <laughs> away from him somehow. But uh, yeah, right. it's just it's, – it's unbelievable to think about it, and it's going to affect teams different in different ways. Um, you know, I, the days of having a 20-person scholarship senior class are, are well past us. I mean, by the time you get down to the guys in the last year of their eligibility, Penn State has eight this year. It's usually right around there or, or maybe a little bit more. But uh, so it doesn't change the numbers all that much. But when you talk about building this out and going years down the line with guys that, you know, are, are going to end up having fifth and sixth years with without really, you know, going through the typical trials and tribulations of a typical six year senior, that's crazy to, to think about. So roster management in a couple of years is going to be interesting. Um, you know, you look at what you're bringing in in this class, it's going to, you know, be affected by these numbers as well, um, because you're going to have to fi- figure out a way to dig out, you know, eight scholarship seniors for Penn State. Uh, you know, it's it. Th- this is all based on the number of seniors that they retain. So you build yourself a, a little bit of a buffer, but then all of a sudden in two years, these guys are off the books and, and all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're sort of crammed back into those um, sort, sort of those, I guess, tight spaces that you were dealing with in terms of roster management before. So I can see this becoming a problem in the long run. I think guys are going to get shut out. I think guys are going to, you know, sort of lose their spots because of this. Um, I don't know that it's, you know, necessarily the best way to go about it if you haven't really caught my tone so far. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't know the right way to go about it, but just to say, okay, go ahead and play the stuff, but, but it doesn't count. doesn't really sit right with me. One of the big things that James Franklin was concerned about during his phone call last Wednesday with media wasn't so much what happens here in 2020, these next few months. It's a, it's a painful pill to swallow. They're dealing with it. What he was more concerned with was how do you make sure that the playing field is even again when action starts in 2021 in the fall and you know, expectedly all five Power Five conferences are competing at the same time and pursuing the same goals as we've become accustomed to year after year after year until right now. Um, he was worried that the competitive disadvantage would linger and it would then be a negative factor for the Big Ten long-term and for Penn State long-term. This is kind of one of those ways where you see other Power Five conferences, players gaining an extra year of experience, younger players, you know, even some of the seniors they'll retain who are going to play this year. There's going to be far more experienced rosters. We're talking about 
I mean, you know, 40, like 30 plus guys going on 40 guys on the Penn State roster for 2021 are going to have burned zero college eligibility uh, at, during their careers. So, I mean, that's almost half of your roster uh, in terms of scholarship numbers will have not burned any college eligibility. And you've got all these other schools that, while they're not burning eligibility, they may have played eight to ten SEC games and come back next year with that under their belt. Right now you're trying to give your guys 12 solid hours a week of whatever you can to try to get them situated for 2021. That's not going to cut it. That's that's going to certainly result in a gap. And Franklin pointed to the, the practices that are being accrued in other conferences versus the Big Ten. That also extends to last spring uh, when, when some programs were able to get on the practice field. Penn State uh, was not. Um, those added up. So this is another thing that I think you throw in there as a potential jeopardizing factor in, in trying to keep a, a, an even-keel landscape. And I think this will also, once again, uh, kind of spotlight the gap in college football between the haves and haves not, have-nots. Scholarships are going to add up. Um, there's a lot of, uh, of universities right now that are cutting costs in a major way and will need to continue to do so in the athletic athletic realm. So I do wonder – I mean, I don't wonder. I know that it's going to be a lot easier for, for powerhouse programs, and that includes Penn State – to stomach retaining a lot of these seniors uh, and then adding more scholarship numbers and and, and handling the financial impact of all that. Comparatively, uh, some of the, uh, you know, group of five schools, some of the the power – I think every power five school should be okay financially, but that's probably not true either. So I do wonder if that widens the gap across the way. And then what happens with walk-ons? I mean, those are a huge part of of what you do to get ready for games. I think Penn State has really prided them on, on how they have progressed with their scout teams from 2014 to where they are in 2020. And a lot of that is because they've been able to, to bring in, you know, guys who had some scholarship offers maybe at the FCS level, uh, could have pursued playing time at, at some other schools instead, uh, tried to take a shot at the practice squad at, at Penn State and work from there. How is that all impacted by, by what you're doing right now and balancing scholarships um, and not having practices in 2020? Um, it, it, it's, it's, it's all very concerning, and, and, and maybe everyone ends up sidelined together this season, uh, but the longer we go on and on, and September's all of a sudden right around the corner, it's next week, um, all these things and, and the potential disadvantages just become a bit more stark. Uh, next week, that kind of hit home. That's, uh, <laughs> that's much closer than, than, than we were thinking. But uh, no, I mean, it, the, the financial aspect is one thing. You don't really typically think of scholarships being a financial burden, but they've still got to re- raise this money. They've still got to cover the costs of, of what's going to happen. And frankly, there are going to be schools that can't really cover those costs and, and afford to make it happen. So I feel bad that that's going to, uh, you know, eat into their scholarship uh, allotment or whatnot. And, and, and you go beyond that, uh, you know, you, you're creating an imbalanced playing field. I mean, it's already an imbalanced playing field. Now, you know, let's say Big Ten did this to themselves. They, they're the ones that canceled the season. But still, you're creating a, an imbalanced playing field where you've got uh, programs that are going to practice as long as they can. And I think that's, that's something that the football coaches are are upset about. I mean, Get some practices in. Do something. You know, just just don't shut it down so quick. And I think that's really what it keeps coming back to. So I think you're going to come out of this. Uh, those other conferences are going to look great. The Big Twelve, or excuse me, the Big Ten is going to look bad. And then on top of that, you're going to have to deal with the the momentum that any football or any hope of football that springs into late August into September, um, you know, that any hope makes them look better as well. So Big Ten's really put itself behind the eight ball here, and uh, its programs are going to suffer because of it. Right, and 
Like, like, like we keep saying, we may all be in the same bandwagon in October. Um, our fellow reporters covering other teams in other conferences. I hope not. I'm not rooting against any other conferences to succeed. But if they do succeed in playing football, boy, the the, the FBS is going to have a real issue on its hands with with, with the competitive landscape, and and they're going to have a lot of angry programs. Um, <laughs> that are, are asking a lot of questions about how to set things right again. And we've talked about how these coaches are creatures of habit. You are burning the playbook and throwing the dust up in the air right now and asking them to come up with a new game plan here going into a September in which they thought they'd be kicking off very soon. It's hard to imagine, Sean. We would just be two Saturdays away from a kickoff in Beaver Stadium if things were in a normal structure. And now you're talking about James Franklin not knowing when his next practice is. It's just such a such a different different beast for these teams to tackle than anything they could have anticipated, and and I think that's what we're all waiting for. When is the structured plan going to come out where we have some concrete dates on when teams can resume practice, and then we've we've heard maybe kind of using a spring practice formula um, in in the fall to get ready for a winter kickoff, and we don't know when the winter kickoff is going to be. All those things need to be set. By the way, we we mentioned them a few times. The eight senior eligible. Penn State players in 2020, uh, Michael Mennett and Will Fries on the offensive line, Antonio Shelton and Shaka Tony and Shane Simmons on the defensive line, uh, Tariq Castro-Fields at cornerback, and then Jaquan Brisker and Lamont Wade at safety. All of them except Shane Simmons projected a start here in 2020. All of them uh, may be around in 2021. Some may have some difficult decisions to make, but it looks like the door will be open uh, for them to stay uh, because of that NCAA blanket, um, uh, the eligibility decision. So stay tuned there. Um, Sean, a very bizarre set of circumstances on Monday afternoon. Add it to the list of bizarre set of circumstances we've encountered of late. They're just circumstances now, man. I mean, we're (laughs) we're just throwing out bizarre. (laughs) We're throwing out unprecedented. I've heard that word enough over the last five or six months. And we're just, you know, all the qualifiers need to just get out of here. We're living in, in, um, yeah, we're here now. Uh, So I've seen a lot of strange college football rankings, uh, a lot of controversial college football rankings. This one was the most surreal I've ever seen. Nine of the top 25 in the Associated Press preseason poll that was published on Monday, they're not scheduled to play football in the fall. That includes number two, Ohio State. That includes number seven, Penn State. Uh, Number nine, Oregon. So three of the top 10, nine of the top 25, six Big Ten teams, three Pac-12 schools won't play. Well, uh, okay. Uh, Good luck moving forward to the season and, and, and not applying some kind of asterisk to the end result if you get there. Yes, and I just read that uh, Micah Parsons and Pat Farmuth on the first team all APP, or excuse me, all AP, all American team. So that was tough. Um, so yeah, the guys that won't play this year, especially the guy that opted out before this happened on the AP all American team. So they got that going for him, which is nice, but it, I mean, it's just crazy to think Penn state number seven, uh, that's about where I would have slotted them in the first place. They missed the coaches poll, by the way, the same spot as the coaches poll. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, uh, it makes sense in terms of preseason rankings, but Hey, when they start playing games, they're just going to take all those schools out there. I mean, it's, I guess it's not, I mean, does somebody get a bonus? Does Randy Edsel get a bonus for Penn state being in the top 10? I don't know. So I, I, I get why they did it. It makes kind of sense, but at the end of the day, it's just like, all right, one more gut punch. Here we go. And then the, the, the playoff dates and locations and everything came out this week. Uh, just kind of throw some more dirt on the pile. Why don't we? It's yeah. It's like it's like you're you're watching all the kids play at recess, and you're you're not allowed to go outside and, and join them. Like we're just we're kind of watching outside the window, and oh wow, college football season that looks fun, and, and we're just kind of relegated to 
I wonder when the next Penn State practice is. That's the reality on this beat. A lot of people doing a lot more difficult jobs, so I won't complain. We're sitting here talking about football, Sean, but it is just a little more settled into the reality this week. Last week was a, a freaking foggy mess because of all the different things we were trying to stomach and, and, and learn about the process. It's starting to sink in now, and it doesn't feel great. Um, there, there's a lot more freedom for, for fall weekends, as you and I have discussed, in terms of what we can do. But I, I would trade in some fall weekends for some football, this, uh, just be able to do our jobs how we normally would love to do. Um, not going to happen right now. We'll keep doing our best. But uh, something we can always get to is the mailbag. Well, it's what, always what, before, we start, for, before we start, <laughs> yeah, sure. one month from tomorrow, Mississippi State and Kevin Warren's son oh. plays LSU. Oh, God. That's a sticking point right now. I know a lot uh, of people not happy about it. I know the Penn State parents very upset yes. about that particular set of circumstances. I feel bad for Kevin Warren's son because that's obviously by no choice or no fault of his own is he in that situation. But that is a sticking point right now, and that's one that just keeps being brought up. I, think, I, I don't know if James Franklin brought it up uh, you know, on his interview last week, but that is something – that they are having a tough time processing, and I, I gotta gotta say I'm right there with them. Yeah, no, that that has been a, a, a kind of a, a bullet point that people have gone to very quickly when they talk about the Big Ten situation. It's well, why is Kevin Warren's son proceeding forward with playing football? Why is that okay? And, he, and he's deeming that these 14 universities, it's not safe. Kevin Warren is taking the bullets right now. He's got a big boy job, and and uh, and he and he's going to bear responsibility one way or the other when this thing shakes out. Uh, whether he looks uh, far better in October or far worse, we'll come to learn in a matter of four or five weeks. Uh, Sean, one mailbag question today to get to, then we'll roll on. Um, again, please, we encourage you to send your mailbag questions. Uh, we could use a, 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 a new crop of them for the current events. A bunch of them are a bit outdated because of the recent news, as we've said in the past. We'll get to one today, Sean, kind of a, a, an off-the-wall one. Our uh, question is, I heard Lambeau Field in Green Bay is a potential future host for the Big Ten Championship game. That's something I have seen reported as well. What sites would you like to see the game move to in the future? Any chance it comes to Pennsylvania? Uh, as a reminder, currently held in Indianapolis, which back in 2016 is where Trace McSorley and the Penn State Nittany Lions rallied to beat Wisconsin. Uh, probably an unpopular opinion, but I think it should be in Indy. I think it should be right where it's at right now. I absolutely loved that stadium. I absolutely thought the atmosphere was fantastic. I thought the town was, was you know, Indy is a very, you know, it's a city, but at the same time, it's it's a smaller feel of a city. I, I downtown, It's like a, town. It's like a big, town. big town. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I don't see any point in moving. I think Lambo sort of puts a bid in every couple of years to make it happen. While it would be cool for novelty, I think you, you play in optimal conditions, especially if you if there's a college football playoff um, birth on the line. All of a sudden, you know, you want to do everything that you can to get the you get yourself into playing a game that's where weather's not going to cost you, where something you know, just something funky that could happen. Say, say a twelve and zero Ohio State team is playing against Wisconsin or somebody that's ten and two, and or, or something of that uh, along those lines, and they play at Lambeau, and you know, Wisconsin handles the elements. Ohio State, something happens, somebody slips and fumbles or something, and Ohio State 
loses the game because of it and you lose your you lose your playoff berth and I, I'm obviously nobody's going to feel bad for Ohio State losing a playoff berth listening to this podcast but at the same time you know that's that's a tough one to swallow for the conference so I think you you bring it in ideal conditions I think Indy's been great I, I had a blast when I went out there I thought everything they did was was first class and I look around and you know Chicago's got the outdoor you know Soldier Field which is the same sort of the same thing as Lambeau Minnesota maybe a you know if I don't know how that works with, uh, you know, where they would want to place this, but Indy to me is, is pretty ideal. I mean, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I, I'm with you. I think it's a, it's a beautiful stadium. I didn't cover the 2016 game. I wasn't on the beat with you, but I, I, I have been inside that stadium when it was empty. So I can imagine how awesome it was to, to watch a, a Wisconsin and Penn state go toe to toe for the big 10 title. Um, now, you know, and, and, and again, I, I'm a fan of Indianapolis just based on a couple of trips there. Soldier Field stood out to me. Uh, if we're going to talk Lambeau Field, if we're talking Pennsylvania, I think there's probably only one viable option that makes sense. It's, again, an outside venue, probably Heinz Field in Pittsburgh. I don't think you're going to go as east as Philadelphia um, for the Big Ten championship game. So I, I, I guess Pittsburgh could be in play here. D- Detroit's um, in there as well. I mean, yeah. you, you, you could do it for Where I'm field. going for two months in, in January, yeah, February. If, if you're going to do these coverage. bubbles, yeah, it makes <laughs> sense. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I, I, you've got uh, Minneapolis, Chicago's Detroit. Chicago's where we have Big Ten media days. Yeah. So, uh, you know, you kind of throw Chicago in there as, as an obvious you know, hub for, for Big Ten territory. Yeah, I, like I said, I like Indy. I like it a lot. I think – that stadium is, is is a really good stadium for what they're trying to do, and uh, it makes sense. You know, Detroit makes sense. Minneapolis probably makes a little bit less sense. Heinz Field would, would be the place that I would look. Philly might be just a bit out of there, although we've seen conferences that will go you know, to, to different spots for different tournaments and different things like that just to ex, you know increase their exposure. But I really don't think the link is it. So um, I, I don't see it coming to Pennsylvania. I don't think that's a viable option. I don't think that's a realistic option. So get me to Indy. That's uh, I'm perfectly happy in Indianapolis. And the only other wild card here, if they, if they wanted to kind of move the thing around, almost like the Super Bowl, or even if, if they just did two years here, two years there, um, you know, they extended the conference eastward. Uh, they added that school in New Jersey. The Meadowlands, that hosted a Super Bowl of, re- of late uh, in January in North Jersey or early February, whenever it was that uh, the Seahawks demolished the Denver Broncos. They have hosted, you know, a, a Super Bowl there. So, uh, you know, maybe, that, maybe that's also another uh, the potential destination just to factor in there. Tyler, um, Tyler. Yeah. No. Yes. No. No. Jer- Jersey's not getting it. No. Jersey's not getting it. Jersey's not getting it. Okay, well, that was a fun 15 seconds where uh, with a big, where I was heading home for the Big Ten title game. Um, <laughs> well, that's going to do it for us. Uh, thank you, Sean, for for the, the the slap in the face there on the on the Jersey vibes. But uh, we're going to get to uh, more mailbag questions down the line. We got a few more um, that we want to get to, but we really again encourage you to drop your five star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Um, throw in whatever you're thinking, recruiting 2021, 2022, 2023, um, the dynamics of, of what the absence on the field means for Penn State, player questions, all that different stuff. Um, we're happy to, to, to field them and, and, and kind of expand upon them here on the podcast. Um, anything else to add before we step aside? Obviously, you be back later in the week. We may have a guest uh, interview. I'm not promising anything there, but we're working on it. No, I'm, I'm immersing myself in capacity questions for indoor stadiums. Uh, the Viking Stadium is actually bigger than I thought it would be, but uh, here we are. So, um, no, I, I don't see anything <laughs> but Indy here, and I'm, like I said, perfectly happy with Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis. Well, there you go, and we would love to be covering the Big Ten Championship game anytime in the near future. 
um, Lucas Oil Stadium be sitting sitting quiet that, that first Saturday of December uh, this year, unfortunately. Um, go on to Lions247.com, a bunch of new recruiting content up from our 24-7 Sports Network team. We've got highlights of uh, Penn State wide receiver commit Caden Saunders hit the field for a scrimmage on Friday night, scored a touchdown, showed off his speed at receiver. That's all up on Lions247.com right now. 50% off an annual VIP subscription through the end of the month. $1 for one month if you want to take a peek and see what you like. Uh, that's going to do it for this edition of the Lions 24-7 podcast. We will be back later in the week to bring you up to speed on the latest in Penn State football and recruiting news. On behalf of Sean Fitz, I'm Tyler Donahue. Thanks, as always, for joining us. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply.